All right, everybody, I am here today with Jaron, and he is the founder and CEO of Magathy Payments. How are you doing, Jaron? I'm doing well, sir. How are you? I am doing great. Uh, so I, I'm really excited to jump in and talk about this legislation you've been working on that has recently become law in the state of Maryland for merchants to protect them. Um, but before we do that, uh, I always like to get a little bit of a backstory. So maybe you can kind of share with us your path. How did you get into this crazy industry? How did you end up starting Magathy Payments? Give us a little bit of background if you would. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I started Magazine Payments uh, five years ago. It'll be actually be five years in September. And I've been in professional sales my entire life. I am very consultative in my approach. And it is, you know, I'm a relational seller. Sure. And so one of the things that has always been a challenge for me is when I would spend the time and effort to build a rapport with a prospect. And then after the sale, the company that I represented would drop the ball. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it happened when I was selling mortgages and selling home improvements and, you know, everything else. And so I was working for um, an asphalt company at the time doing business development and, you know, saw some things about the company that I was really not happy with. And um, I put my resume on Monster and Career, Career Builder. And uh, within 48 hours, I've been contacted by seven different payment processes. <laughs> Not yes. surprising, yeah. right? Always, yeah, so always that, looking for good. That kind of piqued an interest. <laughs> sure. sure. Our, our industry is like a pack of wolves on those platforms, I'm telling you. No, absolutely. Absolutely. And so um, I actually I, I talked to one of the recruiters, and I'm like, hey, just just curious. I'm, I'm getting a lot of calls from you people. You know, what what is it about my background? Is there, you know, some great industry explosion and you know you need right. people or is it something specific to my background and she told me um she said you know people that do well in this industry long term uh, obviously are good at sales but they're also typically good at math you know because they need to figure out how mm -hmm. a variable yeah. like an Leading interest rate so. can affect different things sure. on sure. a given timeline yeah. And she was like, we look for people that have mortgage experience because it's a skill set that translates well. Sure. And I had been a mortgage banker for five years prior. Um, and so that was okay, you know. Um, but then once I started doing research on all of the companies that were recruiting me, none of them had a reputation, at least not from what I could find online, that I wanted to associate myself with because their reviews were overwhelmingly negative. Mm. Um, so providentially, I, I reached out to one of my friends and told him, I was like, you know, I'm thinking about getting into the payment processing industry. Um, you know, he said, well, I've, I've got a friend down in Florida and I, James, I think, you know, I'm a guy named Jamar. Mm -hmm. And he was like, I got a friend down in Florida uh, who owns a payment processing company. Maybe I can connect you and, you know, he can give you some pointers and, you know, gave me the guy's phone number. Um, I reached out to him. We connected. Uh, we've become really good friends over the years. And, you know, I, I kind of had the idea that I wanted to build my own local brand because I was fairly well known in the community. I'd done work here for a while. And, and instead of, you know, working for one of those large conglomerate type companies, I just I wanted to build something. Sure. 
local mm-hmm. and I just kind of took the ball and run with it. And so I'm doing some research. I'm like, learn about the payment processing industry. And I see videos from some guy named James Shepard. And I'm like, <laughs> Hey, he seems to know what he's talking about. And, um, you know, I, I, a lot of what I learned initially was from your YouTube channel. So That's awesome, thank man. you for that. Hey, my, my pleasure. So, uh, yeah. So, and then, you know, you, so this was like, you got in the industry five years ago. How long ago did you start working on, uh, this, uh, this house bill? So it was actually in the legislative session of 2017. Um, that we first in- sure. introduced the yeah, first iteration. I thought iteration it was a little while ago. I, I remember you ta- telling me when you had started, and it was like, you know, it, it was a little while back. Now I have to ask because you know I'm a Christian, so you know the number seven here. I mean, really, is it House Bill seven seven seven? Is that actually right? It, it, when when they told Level me seven. that was the number, <laughs> I knew I was like, this has to pass. This has to pass. <laughs> There's no way that right. this cannot not right. pass. At right? least, it, so it, yeah, no. Right. That's the actual bill number. Yeah, glad it was that and not six six six. I was gonna say. Oh, you know? I don't even think they assign bills six six. I, I don't think. I don't think they, really think they do. Right. Uh, it's funny. Yeah, it's like uh, like Michael Scott on The Office. He says, "I'm not superstitious, but I'm a little stitious." <laughs> right. So when you saw that, Absolutely. you knew it was. You knew you were good. So all right. So so let's do this. So I want to jump into this because there's a lot of information to cover, and and I think this is something we've never interviewed anybody with anything like this on the no. podcast. So really interested. So. Give us the the kind of big picture. I mean, what is this House Bill seven seven seven? What does it do? You know, why did you want to do this? Give us a little bit of detail of kind of like what is this bill? What exactly does it do for merchants? Okay, so as many of your listeners would probably understand, the the, the sta- a standard merchant services agreement is usually three years with a four hundred ninety five dollar cancellation fee. Sure, uh, that's kind of par for the course. Right. The problem with that is that oftentimes there's a little clause right on the signature page that says by signing this, you're agreeing to our terms and services that can be listed here. And it's a URL. And if you follow the URL, it's a 75 page mm-hmm. PDF document. Right. And the terms of services are typically where they list things like when the, when the agreement renews, what the liquidated damages are and so on and so forth. We had an experience where a client from a large bank that I won't name because I don't want to get sued, um, <laughs> when we actually followed the link to read the terms and services, the link said you had to be an account holder and put in your information to read the document. So you're essentially agreeing to something that you can't actually see at the time that you're trying to agree to it. And so basically what House Bill 777 does is it requires – that the length of the contract, the cancellation fees, the liquidated damages, the renewal date of the contract, and the contact information for the MSP has to be listed on the actual agreement that the merchant signs in 12-point bold font. And each of those items that we just listed has to be individually initialed. So it it prevents companies from being able to hide Mm -hmm. in the terms and services something that is going to dramatically affect the merchant's ability to change down the road. So one of the things that sparked this is I was working with a client that owned a small hobby shop, and after – you know, he had come on board with us. 
about nine months later, he asked me about a charge on his bank statement. And, you know, when he showed me the screenshot, I was like, that's, that's not ours. And I saw the bank card and I saw the, the merchant ID listed after that. And I looked at the old statement that he provided. And I was like, that's your old account. I was like, didn't you close that? They're still charging you like $179 a month. He called, he contacted them. He had sent them a certified letter to close the account. But he was then told, oh, well, because your contract automatically renewed for another three years, you know, if we had closed the account, we would have to charge you the $2,400 cancellation fee. So we figured you didn't want to pay that. So we didn't close it. <laughs> wow. That was so was considerate like, of them. <laughs> really? Right. Yeah. I was like, wait, wait a minute. So how am I in a contract? I, you know, I'd been right. with you for four years. Well, after three years, it renewed for three more years. So right. if you want to cancel, we can cancel. It'll be $2,400. He said, you know, I'm not paying $2,400. Right. And the next day they just randomly debited his account 600 bucks. And so it was one of those, I, I watched this right. happen. Saw it play out. And that was sort of the, the catalyst that, that started this whole journey. Like we have to, like, I'm, you know, full disclosure, I'm a libertarian, you know, the less government, the better, in my opinion. But in certain aspects of this industry are like the Wild West, and right. there's very little accountability yeah. for some of these companies. And so that was really what hmm. what sparked so, the journey. Well, let me do this before we jump into other things. I want to clarify a couple terms real quick that you, you mentioned that I think some people might not <clears throat> fully understand. So number one, let's talk about liquidated damages. So um, I'll kind of explain and then, uh, you know, let me know if I missed anything. But, you know, the idea of the liquidated damages basically says when you sign this agreement, you know, we are going to make $200 a month off of your account. And so if you try to cancel before the end of the term is up, we are going to charge you the money that we as a processing company lost by you canceling. And so if we were going to make another $5,000 off of you, then you have to pay us $5,000 to cancel. Is that a is that an accurate description of liquidated damages or would you describe it differently? Absolutely. No, it's a typically it's I've seen it Anywhere from $25 a month to $250 a month for yeah. all of the months re remaining. And actually, I just saw one yesterday that was actually listed in basis points, which is the first time I'd ever seen that, Whoa. where it said, you know, it's 30, 30 basis, you, you'll, yep. your liquidated damages penalty will be 30 basis points of your average monthly volume for every month left on the agreement. Whoa. I saw one at 50 basis points one time on a merchant that did almost a half a million dollars a month. Wow. Yeah. No, and that's, what's, <laughs> like, that's what's nuts. Like, is that they, it's like 30 grand. It's even more Jeez. hidden because yeah. outside of, you know, merchant services professionals and mortgage bankers, who uses the term right, basis right, point? Right. <laughs> you know, you right, know what I mean? Like right. they see 50 BPS, like what? that doesn't mean anything to me. Right. right. You know? Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. Interesting. So, and then the other thing we talked about was kind of the auto renew. So, so most of the contracts by standard are these three-year agreements and you have your early termination fee during that time period, but there's a lot of agreements that will auto renew. So after the, after the three years, it then auto renews for another three years. So basically it leaves the merchant like, you know, one day to cancel pretty much out of a six year period. And if, Typically. They, don't, if they don't jump on it that day, then it's going to auto renew. So talk about what does this, you know, House Bill 777, what does it do to protect the merchant in, can, in those? Can go ahead, I, go yeah, ahead. I just want to ask one thing. I mean, you, you refer to what is House Bill 777, but it's actually been passed, hasn't it? Can Kind of, kind of lost you for one second there, Jerry, and you sounded like you were far away. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, there you so, go. Okay. Um, so the, the governor signed the, it, and it's effective October 1st, I believe, is what he said. 
Is that correct? correct? Yep. Okay. Just want I just want to be clear clear on that because it yeah, is, this is actually this a, is law. a law. It's yes. not a bill. It's actually a law. Correct. Okay. Very correct. good. And, and they didn't they correct. didn't put seven 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 in the law though, right? No, there was no, no. number like that because <laughs> that would that would have been great. <laughs> there might have been seven hundred and seventy seven pages to it. <laughs> no, there there wasn't. I read. It. I don't it know. So I'm just short. joking. <laughs> it's a, it's actually pretty short and straightforward. Yeah, yeah. Can, it's good stuff. Can I just also ask one more real quick question, question Jerron? Because I have followed the legislative sure. process a lot in Maryland and. Washington and everything. I mean, this is a pretty, I mean, as legislation goes, it's pretty arcane subject matter. Uh, I'm just in, interested in, in knowing how you were able to get so much support in the space of less than two years. I mean, that's pretty admirable, I must say. Yeah, no. So uh, again, uh, James, we, you mentioned uh, you know being a Christian. I'm a I'm a non-staff elder at my church, and so I I, all, I completely and totally believe in God's sovereignty and His providence. And so um, I had gotten a referral for a gentleman that owned a cigar shop, and from one of my clients. And I went and I met with him. Uh, we hit it off really well, signed the agreement, and we were, you know, he said he mentioned to me how he's owned the store for several years, and he changes his credit card processor for every couple of years because they promise one thing and then they do something else, and then he's paying all these fees and so on and so right. forth. And after a few minutes of sort of trading horror stories, I just jokingly said, "I wish I could." write a bill to make that illegal and he said did did i mention i'm also a state delegate uh-huh. I said, wow. no you didn't so uh it's actually uh. delegate seth howard and that's how this process started so okay. he invited me to annapolis to meet with his legislative team and we just that's literally how it how it got started hmm. very very fortuitous wow that's awesome so so basically one of your clients is somebody who owns a business in the local area and also happens to be a state legislator yep correct okay well, that's, that, was, that was definitely one of my questions that's yeah. a, really cool so how long did it take you for i know you said 2017 so did it take about two years then from like you know you that conversation until the governor signed it yeah so the the first um <laughs> The the first iteration of the bill was, in retrospect, terrible. <laughs> like it was. So what I I was a little advantageous. I, I wanted to limit. I wanted to eliminate cancellation fees altogether, or liquidated damages clauses altogether, and limit cancellation fees to ninety nine bucks. And it didn't make it out of committee because right, the sure. ETA and the Maryland Bankers Association said, Oh, you can't do this. It's, it's too broad and blah, blah, blah. Right. And they scared everybody and they shot it down. Right, right. So that was the 2017 session. The, the next year for 2018, I had the idea. I said, okay, well, instead of trying to regulate how much they can charge, why don't we just make it a disclosure bill so right. that yeah, the merchant has to see exactly what it is. And then that version of the bill passed unanimously in the House and then died in the Senate. And so this year we we basically took the same concept, a, a disclosure bill, and it made it further because we had a – so uh, Delegate Seth Howard is a Republican. We had a, de- uh, a Democratic senator from Montgomery County, uh, Senator Ben Kramer, that – sponsored it in the senate uh-huh. so it had two I corresponding bills simultaneously sure. right and so um with that it when it passed 
you know, I, I'm a I'm a member of the ETA. I, I respect them tremendously. I'm a certified payment professional. I'm one of only four in the state. Um, but they sent the letter initially, like, no, we're you know we we oppose this because of X Y Z. So did First Data. So did the Maryland uh, Bankers um, Association. And once it passed unanimously in the House, and they saw that it had a bipartisan sponsorship in the Senate, then they got a little nervous and wanted to meet and, you know, let, well, let's, let's talk about this and let's work on some sure. compromises and so on and so forth. So we had a couple of meetings, we conceded a couple of things. And when it got to the Senate hearing, we had no opposition. They, they supported it with the amendments that we put in. And so some of the things that we, that we did were we narrowed the scope so that it's applicable for small businesses that have 50 or less employees and are doing $2 million or less in credit card processing. Uh So that was a big sticking point for them. They're like, if if this is a multi-million dollar corporation and they've got corporate attorneys, what, you know, right. Why you you don't don't need to protect them. Right. Because, and that makes sense too, because a lot of times, you know, I've done deals like that. And with those really big deals, sometimes there are legitimate liquidated damages type clauses in there that make sense because you're literally putting out a hundred thousand dollars in capital to install all these terminals and all the stuff that they absolutely and and build you know specific platforms and software integrations and that sort of thing and those were things that we hadn't thought about i mean because again you know i'm i'm feet on the street i'm dealing with the average merchant that's not something that they deal with right right exactly you know and so back to actually back to your your previous question about the uh the auto renewal one of the things that this bill addresses and and you know as you know a lot of times when bills automatically renew, they're typically given a 30-day window right. in which they're allowed to cancel in writing or it automatically renews. So what House Bill 777 does is it requires that the MSP notifies the merchant in writing 60 days before it renews, and then after renewal, they are not allowed to charge any fines, fees, or penalties for the merchant leaving. So they, oh. they can only lock them in for sure. basically the first three years. Right. And then after it renews, they can't charge any cancellation fee. And then it also caps the total that they can charge to $500. So right. liquidated damages, cancellation fees, anything, any other penalties associated with terminating the agreement are, are capped at $500 because of this, this legislation. Yeah. Okay. So is there anything now, as you kind of look back at this process, it sounds like you definitely went through several iterations, you know, would there be things you would have done differently? Would you have reached out earlier to make these compromises or like, you know, what, are, what would your advice be to others that might be looking to do a, a similar project in their state? Yeah. So one of the things that I learned through this process is the art of compromise, mm-hmm. right? And I, I can, I can, you know, admittedly be a zealot at times where it's like completely black and white and no, this is what I want and I'm not going to compromise kind of thing. But that in politics, that, that just doesn't Doesn't work. work. Right. Right. You know? And so like it, it was just, it seeing the political dialogue where I could, you know, we, we could be at a meeting with the Maryland Bankers Association and the lobbyists and attorneys from first data. And we're, we're having this heated discussion you know, about X, Y, and Z. And I realized that I'm the only one that's heated. 
<laughs> like everybody uh, else is like, right. you know what I mean? But right. I'm like, oh, yeah. I'm, I'm passionate because I see how this affects the small business right. owners, sure. you know? And so, you know, keeping an open mind as it relates to compromise, like if you get eight out of the 10 things that you want, that's still a win. That's still yeah. a, you know? a, a good and for win. me, it was like, the first couple times I wanted it. If I don't get it all, I don't want it. Right. You know, and that, right. that's just kind of immature. And then, and then you didn't get anything. <laughs> so that's how right, it goes. Right. right? Exactly. Right. <laughs> yeah. When you try to get everything, you just don't get anything. So yeah, really good. So I like that. It's really been interesting. So one other question I have before we kind of get into the final thing about them finding out more about the process and everything. I'm just kind of curious. So you went through all this effort, you know, obviously in, you know, this altruistic way, you got the payoff of, you know, merchants in the state of Maryland are now protected from on these uh, these issues, but I'm just curious: was there any side benefit? I mean, did this in any way kind of help your local reputation, your confidence level? I mean, was there any kind of meaningful impact on your business as a result of going through this process and maybe making new connections? I'm just kind of curious how it how it might have impacted you and your business. Yeah, so so far so good. I mean, it, it's it's literally been six weeks since it's been signed into law, so we're sure. we're starting to see some of those benefits. I work with so. We do the payment processing for like the Better Business Bureau of Greater Maryland and a lot, like four or five different local chambers of commerce. Sure. So one of the things that we're doing is we're, we're setting up sort of an educational tour to do lunch and learns Great. that are sponsored by the chambers and the Better yeah, Business mm-hmm. Bureau so sure. that we can educate the business owners on what this bill means because it's enforced by the Commissioner of Financial Regulation under the banking authorities granted in Title II, Subtitle One. So the fines on it are ridiculously steep. So the viol- first time violation is $10,000. Wow. Second time and subsequent violations are $25,000 wow. a piece. So they're going to make some examples out of companies that are doing things the wrong way. Right. Yeah, it's going to it's going to bite hard. Yeah. But it has to be reported by the merchant. The merchant. So sure. if, the, if merchants don't know that this that they is have illegal this. now, sure. right. they, they're not going to report it. It's mm-hmm. not going to be enforced. And so we're basically working on an educational tour between now and October so that people know and understand what it – because this, this not only affects if – a, if a business is located in Maryland – and a merchant services provider in California is soliciting them, this applies to that MSP in California because sure. the business is in right. Maryland. You know, so um, applies to the whole industry, really. it will certainly, you know, we'll see how it affects the, the business. I'd imagine it affected it positively, but I didn't do this for sure, myself and what we gained from it. I did it because I felt right. like this was the right thing to do. Yeah. And I saw too many times the little guys getting stepped on. Uh, and so I, I'm not the type of person that sees a wrong happening and just continue on like nothing's wrong. Yeah. So it's sort of like, you know, fighting the good fight for the little guy. I mean, that has to be, I mean, you know, even if it doesn't necessarily show up in new business right now, I would imagine the uh, confidence and the connections and everything. Hey man, you know, good on no, you. Absolutely. You did a great it, job. <laughs> I, I really, I really appreciate it. And one of the other things that, that I wanted to add is if, if it didn't change my business at all in the sense that it didn't bring any new accounts, but it changed the industry right. and forced companies to be more customer focused and focus on customer service, mm-hmm. then that's, to me, that's the greater good because companies are going to be limited in how much they can charge you to leave. It's sort of um, 
decommoditizing this industry in a sense that, okay, yeah, if I know I'm going to get better service, then maybe I'd be willing to pay more. You know what I mean? And I, I think yeah. that in the sure. end, that's going to be good for everybody because it's shifting the focus to how well do you service these clients? Yeah. Not how slick are your salespeople to get an agreement signed? Right. And and people are sticking with you because they want to stick with you, not because it's going to cost them an arm and a leg to leave. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. If you can do that, if you can maintain, you know, high retention, you know, with, with a month-to-month agreement or, or yeah. with good service, then you're doing things the right way. Right. Well, and I think, too, I mean, I, I have to add to this because, you know, I'm, I'm apparently the uh, greedy capitalist on the call here. But, uh, you know, <laughs> I, I definitely, I mean, obviously, this should be a huge win for your business because you're going to go around and do this educational tour, right. which is going to basically educate all the businesses in Maryland about a law that Magathy Payments wanted to put in place to protect them uh, and to give them the ability to more easily switch. Well, my goodness, I wonder what they might do with that information. Uh-huh. Uh, maybe they would want to go with the company that enabled them to be able to do this. So, uh, yeah, I think it's huge. And that's one of the reasons I even wanted to do the interview, too, is because I love the fact that you have this you know, sincere desire to help the the merchant and the business owner. And that's why you did this. But then I think also it's like having that business savvy on the back end to go, wow, I made this huge change. And I'm, and obviously I know you're going to profit from it. And I think, I think that's how it should be. I think that in, in business, when people do things right, I think that doing the right thing in business is also the most profitable thing as a general rule. As I a mean, general rule, yeah. long term at least, you know, sure. you can, you can, you can, yeah. you can do things short term. You know. That's always true. Right. <laughs> right. You can do things, you can do things short term to make yourself more money fraud or by lying or whatever, but, but as far term. as long-term building a solid business, yeah. you're going to bat for these people. And, you know, man, if I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing your uh, your photo ops and your videos with the legislators, et cetera, et cetera, when, mm-hmm. you know, that you're going to be able to utilize to explain to merchants that, hey, you know, I'm the guy in Maryland fighting for you. So I think it's a great example. I think others listening should, you know, look into this. You know, do you know any of your uh, legislators? If you, if you don't, I mean, I know mine. You better find them. We did something like this in our area with a petition um, and, you you know, it works great. It's it's a great way to make a difference, and at the same time, to increase profits. So, and if you don't know yeah. your if you don't know your local lawmakers, then you know, join the Rotary Club or yeah. the Chamber because they're all the part of those. And, yeah. So we actually we had our um, we had our ribbon cutting last week for our new office in Severna Park, and uh-huh. the U.S. Senators Ben Cardin and Chris Van Hollen sent their reps here oh, and nice. you know when when they were asking me about the bill i was like listen this is a the most comprehensive in the nation this could be a federal template you right. know yes. so now we're scheduling appointments to talk about you know how can we do this because uh, uh senator van holland's on the uh senate banking right. committee you know how can we do this on a federal level to, yeah. to help protect the the small businesses across the country that's how change so. happens go for it my friend oh, that's awesome well hey man it's been uh, great having you on here one last question so if people want to actually read this law and see kind of like what it is again it's not it's not really that long it's something you could read in in, in one sitting i mean if somebody wanted to do that what, what would they actually search for or google or how would they find it yeah so um if you go to uh maryland hb like house bill maryland hb 777.com um, okay. you know, there's, uh, nice. information that we did, a, we did a write up about it. There's okay. a link where you can download the actual, you know, full transcript of the bill. And then there's some pictures, uh, at the bill signing, uh, one of the coolest things, and I'll end with this, one of the coolest things, one of the coolest moments of my life is after, uh, we, we were invited to the signing mm-hmm. and after governor Hogan signed the bill into law, I was in the picture, he turns around and hands me the mm-hmm. pen 
that yeah, he had signed true. the law with, yeah. and he said, you've earned this. And oh, so I, cool. I totally, like, geeked out like a little fanboy. <laughs> like, oh, my God, I'm going to do that. <laughs> so I've, got the, I've got the pen on display now in my office. Oh, sure. And it, it, um, you know, it was a pretty special moment. So there's a well picture of that at the, on the, the website. So. Well, this is definitely one of my favorite interviews. It's just so interesting and yeah. so, so different than what we normally talk about. So I think it's exciting. And uh, congratulations to you getting it done. And uh, that's awesome, man. Keep us posted. This is the Insider's Report with Patty Murphy, brought to you by Greensheet.com, a premier resource for the electronic payments industry. The Greensheet has been on the beat since 1983, always focused on boosting the feet on the street in our evolving sphere. Okay, so, you know, we talk a lot about selling card payments on this podcast. and uh, But this week, I'd like to explain why check services should be part of every merchant services product mix. American consumers and businesses are writing fewer checks than in the past, but they still wrote about $18 billion last year. Wow. Yeah. Worth a combined value um, in excess of $26 trillion, according to the Federal Reserve. Oh, wait. They wrote $18 billion checks for right. a total value of what $26 trillion. Good grief. Okay. Right? I mean, that's a lot of checks. <laughs> I mean, we peaked at about $40 billion in the late 90s. So it has been going down, but still. Still. You know, and, uh, you know, consumer check writing actually accounts for about a third of the total number. Uh, although it accounts for uh, a little bit less of the total value, you know, less than a third of the total value. Right. And to put this in perspective, okay, consider that there were 123.5 billion credit and debit card payments in 27, uh, excuse me, in 2017. Right. Okay. Worth a combined value of 6.48 trillion. So, you know, more che- uh, fewer checks for larger value is what we're saying. Right. Know? So, you know, while there are, you know, substantially more card payments, you know, checks have higher average values, and that is an allure, obviously, for fraudsters. Right. You know, uh, I, I, I do Google alerts, like lots of people do. Sure. And one of my Google alerts is check fraud. Ah. Uh-huh. You would be surprised every single day. Oh, I'm sure, actually. I yeah. mean, it's amazing, and it's all old-fashioned forms of... Of course, because if you're, I mean, if there's that big of a piece of the pie out there that's still doing checks and you're somebody looking to be, you know, to make money off of fraud, I mean, obviously that's the low hanging fruit. That's the low hanging fruit, you know. Now, now, um, so according to the Fed's data, consumers wrote, you know, a lot of checks, but uh, businesses tend to write them for higher value. And the Fed also said that the 20, this is the interesting thing in the Fed's latest data, the 20 year decline in check writing appears to be tapering off. So we peaked at about 40, 40 billion checks. checks and like, now we're at 18. Yeah, and I think the peak was like around 94, 95. Okay. Okay, so we started declining. We were declining close to 10% a year right. for quite a few years. Now the decline is down to about 4%. Huh, okay. Okay, which is not a, a lot of, you know, I mean, do 4% against 18 billion. It's going to take a long time to get that down to... Right. You right. know, so, um, you know, one reason that why checks haven't uh, gone the way of dinosaurs, as a lot of past futurists had predicted, is that they are, they've become very fast and efficient. 
Right. You know, as recently as the 1990s, checks were handled upwards of a dozen times during the multi-day clearing cycle before funds actually got credited Mm. to the payee's account. Yeah. But thanks to the evolution of high-speed imaging and network technologies and the passage of the uh, Check Clearing for the 21st Century Act, better known as Check 21. Sure. This labor and time-intensive process has given way to electronic clearing of checks. Now, today, better than 99% of all checks written in the U.S. clear through the banking system as electronic images. Hmm. And those images can either be captured at the bank branch, at ATMs, and for a growing share of the check depositing customers using smartphone phone apps. Sure. And I'm surprised, uh, actually, how... How few people, you know, that there's still people out there that don't know about mobile check deposit. I was talking, yeah. to, I was talking to a friend yesterday. Runs a a trade association for realtors up in New England. Okay. She said, uh, "Yeah, I'm on my way to the post office. I got to pick up a bunch of checks. I got to put them in QuickBooks. Then I got to take the checks over to my treasurer so she can take them to the bank." <laughs> I'm like, "Are you serious?" Yeah. I'm like, "All you have to do is take out your phone and take a, you know, pictures of the Really? The bank's going to charge me for that, aren't they?" I'm like, "No." No, they like it when you do it that way. They like it. They you save for them. That's right. You're saving them. And and it was amazing. She's like, "Oh, I have to talk to my treasurer about that." I'm like, "Yeah." But you know, one of the things that happens as a result is of this electronification of checks is that most check deposits now clear in a day or two and sometimes on a same day basis. Right. You know, this sets well with businesses that have been slow to migrate to electronic alternatives. You know, according to the Fed, U.S. businesses write, on average, 24 checks a month. And, you know, most of their preferences for checks are based on historical practices, as well as legacy systems that support integration with financial control and accounting systems. Right. Checks are also less expensive for businesses to accept than our credit and debit card payments, which counts for a lot for businesses that offer high-ticket items, you know, like automobiles, jewelry, medical offices. But check acceptance obviously can be risky, uh, with check fraud being, you know, the major pain point. And that's where services like check verification and guarantee come into play. These can generally be offered um, individually in combination with one another and or in combination with some sort of remote deposit capture service Right. for electronic deposit. Uh, Check verification uses information from a check to ascertain if the customer has a history of writing bad checks and if the checking account is in good standing. Other factors also could consider like time of day, type of purchase, similar to the verification process in credit cards. And then based on all of this information, a recommendation is given to the merchant as to whether they should accept or not accept the check. And that entire process takes about the same amount of time needed to complete a credit card authorization. Now, check guarantee takes verification a step further with the service provider um, reimbursing merchants for the full value of any checks that are returned for NSF. Hmm. Right, right. Now, there's a relative newcomer to this whole market. Uh, It's called e-checks or electronic checks. And as the name implies, e-checks are an electronic version of the paper check. Customers provide their checking account information to a merchant who in turn sends an electronically created check through their payment processing company for clearing. And anyone with a checking account can pay using an e-check. And these are particularly well-suited to e-commerce merchants, telesales, and other businesses that are, you know, card-not-present type businesses. Yeah. Uh, So there you have it. That's a quick overview of checks and check services. Stay tuned. Next week, I'm going to provide an overview of ACH payments.
Thank you for listening to the Merchant Sales Podcast. Whether you are an industry veteran, processing executive, or just trying to learn about the payment space, we appreciate your time. The Merchant Sales Podcast is a joint production from greensheet.com and ccsalespro.com. We hope you will tune in next week for more information and tips on building your merchant services business.